How many times do you reckon you've gone into anaphylactis or had to use an EpiPen? Oh, I had to use an EpiPen. It's got to be, I mean, I used to say about 250, but that was probably about three years ago now. So we're probably getting up to like the four or 500 mark. loud and seemingly confident the podcast for introverts extroverts and everyone in between i'm your host chelsea heaney and today's guest is an elite disability gymnast she has 22 british titles to her name and was the number one disability gymnast in the uk for four years running and she's done all of this whilst also living with a rare disease called mast cell activation syndrome also known as mcas which Pretty much means she's allergic to everything. <laughs> Please welcome to the show, Natasha Coates. Hello, thank you for having me. Uh, that was a, the best description of my condition that I've heard in a while. So I'm, I'm very oh. impressed. You've definitely done your research. I have. Thank <laughs> you. <laughs> um, now, I also want to put a disclaimer at the start here for anyone listening, that if I ever... Like if, if after Natasha finished speaking, there's ever a weird long silence. It's just that I've been so mesmerized by her beautiful English accent that I've forgotten to speak. <laughs> That's brilliant. So I thought I should put that up the top because um, I love an English accent. I, it's amazing. I think um, some people are disappointed that I don't sound like the Queen. Like I, I say grass <laughs> instead of grass. Like I've got friends uh, down south that say grass and bath instead of grass and bath. So I'm still, I'm northern um, yeah. when it comes to the But there's so many but... ranges of, of English accents, which I never thought there was really that many different Australian accents. But since I moved to Canberra, I've apparently been told that I have a Melbourne accent, which I didn't know was a thing, but I have a friend and I bet she's going to be listening to this and she's going to laugh so much. I have a friend whose name is Belle, B-E-L-L-E, like the princess. Yeah. And apparently I can't say that name. Apparently I say it weird. Belle. 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 (laughs) Thank you. See, we clearly say it right and it's everybody else that's wrong. (laughs) You are correct, um, and I have that on record, and um, <laughs> all of my friends that make fun of me, I'm just going to play this clip to them. Maybe um, just, you're saying it the British way. Yes, <laughs> I'm just more sophisticated than the convicts. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway. <laughs> Great stuff. On. <laughs> yes. Um, so can you tell us a bit about MCAS and how it affects you? Yeah, so MCAS, which is a lot shorter than saying mast cell activation syndrome, every single time, um, is an immunological condition. Try saying that when you're actually in anaphylaxis. That's a big word. Yeah, they're all big complicated words. And one of the main symptoms I get is tongue and throat swelling. So when I'm in an acute episode and they're asking what's wrong with me, I'm like, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) (laughs) Thankfully, it's all written down on my care plan. And I literally just hand them a sheet of paper that has a flow chart. I'm like this is what you, this is the condition this is what you need to do so what you need to treat you don't need to do more or less because everything yeah. is on there um but it's uh, like I said an immunological condition I have probably had it since I was born but it didn't really start to affect me till I was about 18 um so mast cells are part of like so white blood cell and they work with like wound healing so you know if you've got like a fallen over and you've got a scab and it gets itchy that's part of the healing process from mast cells and it's also responsible for histamine and many other chemicals mm-hmm. unfortunately in me those chemicals release whenever they want so the mast cells are hypersensitive so everybody has them but if you get stung by a nettle you'll get a raised itchy lump and that's histamine response and that's completely normal it's like your body handling this this sting whereas yeah, you take like any me, histamine and it goes away yeah exactly whereas I mean, I take all the antihistamines and I'm still waiting to be cured. So, <laughs> um, But for me, if I do get stung, the the body's response is often inappropriate. So it's it 
too much of a response so it'll send me into like anaphylaxis which is a life-threatening allergic reaction which I carry EpiPens for but because my cells are so sensitive sometimes I don't come into contact with anything like I'll just be sat in my bed or like asleep it can happen in the middle of the night and I just go into full anaphylaxis like spontaneously with no drugger so there are things that do make it more likely to happen like if I get what I call like a normal people illness like a Mm -hmm. a buzz or something like that if I'm particularly stressed or like strong smells strong perfumes or particular foods I've worked out kind of through trial and error unfortunately Um, so the things that are more likely to make it happen and things that I'm definitely allergic to that I have to avoid. But even if I avoid absolutely everything, I still have life-threatening allergic reactions with no warning. So I'll just be going about my daily business and it's like, oh, okay, anaphylaxis, we're doing this now. Heavy pen, hospital. And it's uh, like, oh, it's all right. It's not like I had anything better planned for my day. <laughs> yeah. So how many times do you reckon you've gone into anaphylaxis or had to use an EpiPen? Oh, to use an EpiPen has got to be... I mean, I used to say about 250, but that was probably about three years ago now. So we're probably getting up to like the four or 500 mark, being realistic. Jesus. If you're if you're including so like my EpiPens and then adrenaline shots that the hospital give me. Um, yeah. Sometimes like in one night, I'll have like 12, need like 12 shots of adrenaline. Yeah. Um, so it, it really depends. And I kind of go through good and bad patches. So sometimes yeah. it's like an EpiPen a day. <laughs> and then other times it's... It's like probably not what people are referring to when they call someone an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> no, there is that. I mean, I think if I just took up bungee jumping or something instead, that would yeah. be that would be great. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and it's obviously the expense as well of having to use the pens, and they hurt. Like, well, I was gonna say like the actual like life threatening anaphylaxis side apart. This sounds like my worst nightmare because I have a needle phobia. Yeah, you would not cope with MCAS. No, I had um, what we think, we don't even know, what we think was an anaphylactic shot when I was in kindergarten and was getting my shots and, you know, had to go to hospital and that. And since then I've had a major needle phobia. And, like, the only way I convinced myself to, like, get vaccines or whatever is, like, if you get the disease, you'll have to get more shots. Just get the one yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, how I convinced that's myself really to do smart it. thinking. Yeah. It protects you in the long term even yeah. though you're scared at the time but yeah you wouldn't cope with MCAS because sometimes I'm going to freak freak out the needle phobic people so you might want to turn the volume down for a <laughs> second um <laughs> but sometimes it's like just a normal IV but sometimes like intubating sometimes they have to put like arterial lines in or like lines into my neck um so I've had cannulas pretty much everywhere it feels like even in my feet which I'm not a fan of it's disgusting feet. In my feet well because I was so shut down and so ill they couldn't get access because like my body just completely shut down and they managed to find a vein in my foot so they shoved one in my foot and thankfully I was unconscious but I came around and was like can you please take that out like oh, no I'm not okay with this but they're, oh not, my God. they're not too bad now like at first it was kind of scary and big and now my it's an IV um the only ones yeah. that really hurt are when they take blood um directly from an artery they, they take it from in your wrist yeah uh, that I've only ever had it done once while I was awake and conscious every other time I've been yeah. unconscious and the one time I was conscious I'm really glad I was unconscious the other times because it really yeah. hurts really really hurts Jesus. but we didn't help that they messed up and had to do it twice which oh. kind of ruined it yeah thankfully yeah. I've got two wrists <laughs> yes yes um I have, I have said a few times that the proudest day of my life will be if I ever give blood which is I think is an amazing thing that everyone should do but the thought of sitting there with a needle in my arm for an extended period of time just freaks me out but I'm sure you're extremely used to it by now um yeah, yeah. I mean I think, I think for me it's like I wasn't a fan of it I'm definitely not a fan of it like, if I can go yeah. without and go without but it was well yes obviously needing it and feeling so unwell you kind of get to the stage where you don't really care what they're shoving into your veins because yeah you just feel that awful you're like okay just yeah. put me full of whatever it needs to get rid of yeah. like this but it's the same with EpiPen it's like now if someone told me like using EpiPen on you right now but absolutely not I'd be far too frightened of it and it's pointy and sharp and no yeah. but when I'm in anaphylaxis I don't even think twice about it because yeah. it just kind of happens um yeah and honestly the the needles are nothing compared to what you're going through so like it's a yeah. tiny scratch and I when I first got ill and used to struggle with it a little bit I hated the sensation of it on my arm like going in and when it was on mm. so I used to be like it's just a fly in your arm you can't swat it away it's just a little fly just 
sat on your arm and that's kind of how I coped with the sensory oh, feeling okay. of it yeah um, and that's really helped so that's maybe you can maybe you can give blood now just sit there and be like it's just a fly it's just a fly it's just can, a fly you can video call me while you do it and we'll do deep breathing like <laughs> it's fine it's just a little fly on my arm I'm saving lives good <laughs> um what was it like when um because you said you only um started really getting symptoms of this when you were 18 what was that sort of first attack like when obviously you didn't know what was happening the first attack was really surreal I think because I was volunteering ironically with a medical company because I was hoping to train to be a paramedic but obviously I spend more time in the back of an ambulance as a patient rather than medics so that unfortunately had to kind of let that dream go but I'm really really lucky that I was actually on a shift surrounded by doctors nurses first aiders with all the kit Um, wow that's amazingly lucky yeah but we were just on shift I hadn't eaten anything new I hadn't drunk anything new and I just suddenly felt really jittery and I was like this is weird and I just all I really remember is feeling really really shaky and like washed out like I wasn't really there Mm. and then it thankfully I had a friend who was is working with me and was able to be like you're not well and I sat me down and then they're like taking my blood pressure and couldn't get a reading because it was so low and I'm just sat in this like little first aid chair like I don't know what's going on everyone's moving around me I just want to take a nap <laughs> I wasn't really yeah. sure what was happening and then the next thing I know like the doctor's showing up they're like injecting me with things and I'm just kind of sat there like okay and then they're putting masks on my face and I'm like cool and then we trundled off to the ambulance and they um my oxygen levels got down to I think it was 77 percent and they should be above 96 so I was really wow. not getting any air in at all no. um but I don't really I wasn't really scared it was just it was very calm from my end okay because all this chaos was going on around me but I just remember being I mean probably because I was barely conscious I was just like oh, yeah yeah like yeah you're stabbing me with things but looking back I'm like oh my goodness that's really really bad yeah. I was really really sick but at the time I was like yeah just go with the flow like I just wanted to sleep all I wanted to do was sleep and they kept waking me up and I just remember being really annoyed because they kept shaking me <laughs> and like, poking me and I'm just like dude I'm trying to I'm trying to sleep I don't feel well I'm trying to have a nap please. yeah like come on let, let a girl sleep um but what I hadn't realized until a couple of months after speaking to a friend who was there was actually how sick I was that they got because it, we were covering in quite a big event um that was quite busy and it was in the centre, um, city centre of Liverpool. So mm. to get from where we were at the docks to the hospital wasn't particularly far, but because there were so many pedestrians, because I was in a pedestrian oh. area and the roads were mainly shut off, that they got to the ambulance, went on lights and sirens, and I had a police escort. Jesus! I know. I, when I found that, I was like, oh, I've never had a police escort before. And I mean, I've had one since actually for a similar situation um, yeah. with another reaction, but. Yeah, to get a police escort in an ambulance to hospital. Um, and they were really good. Like, they gave me um, one shot of adrenaline. And, like, that was it. I didn't need any more. I had some, like, IV medication. And mm. saw the doctor and said, yeah, you went into anaphylactic shock. And I was like, oh, well, obviously I knew about anaphylactic shock. I'd trained in it to yeah. treat other people. And I was like, yeah. okay. But not once throughout that whole experience did it hit me that that was what was happening. It was just happening. Yeah. It wasn't like, oh, I'm having an allergic reaction or it just happened like all the training clearly just didn't stick for me like if I saw somebody else going through the same thing I'd know straight away but because it was happening to me and you never think it's going to happen to you it hadn't happened before so why all of a sudden would it be like oh here's your throat swelling like it hadn't even I don't really remember the sensations that much I don't know whether that's because I wasn't really conscious or because my brain's blocked it out um but the, the hospital staff were really really good I was able to go home that evening um, and my mm. poor mum was about 45 minutes away and got the phone call like she's in in hospital my mum was like Ooh. what like she went yeah. off to do the duty she's, like yeah I've done like a 12-hour shift she was expecting me home anytime soon and it was yeah. like what have you done to my kid <laughs> um, and I was fine the staff were really good and they I like asked them why this happened we discussed like things I'd eaten or drunk and it'd been nothing new and he said to me, sometimes this just happens. Like people might have like a seizure in their life, just one randomly or one weird anaphylactic reaction. Like sometimes it just happens and we don't know why. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, I guess I've got this over with my life and I'm 
ready yeah. to carry on like no more anaphylaxis yeah for me. <laughs> it was like okay some people just have one in our lifetime I guess it's good that I've had mine now and I was in like, a good place with pot. with stuff around me. exactly like oh got that over and done with and then two days later it happened again and I'm like whoa hold up <laughs> like this is a once in a lifetime thing and I think in the first two weeks I had to go to hospital eight times oh my looking God. back like those the reactions that I went in for I deal with at home really easily like they're mild yeah. now for me because I'm it, as the conditions kind of progressed and got more severe but I got so much used to it but at the time like we didn't know what was going on we didn't know what was causing it so yeah to go from normally pretty fit and healthy to all of a sudden being seemingly allergic to everything was uh, yeah. quite a change. How long was it from that first attack to when you were diagnosed with MCAS? I think it was just over two years, about two and a half years. Which for two years? Month, yeah, which is pretty quick for, for the condition. Most people, it's kind of six to ten years. Um, but we had to go through, like, eliminating everything. So every time I'd go in, it'd be, what did you last eat? I'd be like, oh, tuna pasta. Like, oh, it must be the fish, like, cut out fish. And then, oh, it must be dairy, cut out dairy. So I was eating potato, broccoli, and chicken. That was all I was eating. Those are the three foods I was deemed safe with. Um, but I was still having reactions and even when I didn't eat I was still having reactions and I was just reacting to seemingly being on earth like I wouldn't come into contact with anything I lived in my room in like a little bubble didn't come into contact with the outside world and still had reactions so I was like this is ridiculous and I was just cutting out more and more and I got severely underweight because I wasn't able to eat Mm -hmm. and wasn't, wasn't getting the nutrients I was exhausted and I was still in college I was trying to balance that and it was just honestly I don't know how I got through it and how I finished college because I must have been absolutely exhausted and drained yeah um but after kind of two and a half years and we had all like the blood tests done and they said oh you're allergic to some things like grass and things like that but nothing should cause anaphylaxis and we just could not pinpoint it and I saw some lovely doctors that tried their best but it just wasn't wasn't happening and then we eventually got sent to a consultant um who's we didn't know about MCAS, we didn't know it existed. Uh, mm-hmm. We just said she was really, really good. So we went and saw her. We had a, a consultation and while we were there, she was like, I'll do some skin prick tests, which is a common thing just for, she was yeah. looking for like chemicals and cleaners and things like that because that's one thing that hadn't been tested yeah. on skin prick tests. So we did that and we went through and did skin prick tests and we had to just sit in the waiting room for kind of like 10 minutes for it to do its thing and then they'd measure how much you react to each little mm-hmm. skin prick so they like marked it all on my arm um I remember sitting there and I'm like oh I don't feel very well oh I don't feel very well oh I don't feel very well so I'm in the allergy clinic and I had to go knock on the nurse's door like hi um I'm really not feeling well and she just took one look at me and it brought me through and then the doctor was called and I went into anaphylaxis from the skin prick test and I was just like oh, are you kidding me like I mean of all the places to have an allergy reaction in the allergy clinic you would think would be great but it's not hmm. because it's a clinic it's not it's a clinic it's not a hospital yeah it's it's in a hospital but it's not like a like a ward or yeah like, so like the different doctors came and like helped out and they got put in like a little side room and treated there um and then the consultant that I'd originally seen came back through about an hour later like how are you feeling I'm like <laughs> <laughs> she's like yeah so the good news is as I think I know what's wrong with you and I was like okay and it was such a relief that I know some people get really frightened when they get diagnosis, but for me it was, you know, I was fighting this thing and I didn't know what it was. Yeah. Whereas now I was still fighting it, but at least I knew what I was fighting and yeah. I could educate myself a little bit more. Um, but it took a long time and I'm still learning about the condition and I used to read all the articles and things, but I don't really now because it could be overwhelming and Yeah. As long as I have enough knowledge to educate doctors when I need to, because yeah. that's a big thing with it being so rare is me showing up and going I have mast cell activation syndrome and I'm like okay I know what, what mast cells do we did that in med school but um thankfully my local hospital where my consultant is at who originally diagnosed me only a couple of months ago before all the pandemic hit did a talk on the condition so but because I know the staff in A&E pretty well now um they joked that it was basically just a lecture on me I was like okay <laughs> brilliant I was like excellent show and tell could have sent example (laughs) pictures in of me just like swollen up like hello um (laughs) but thankfully it was literally the 
I went into hospital on the Wednesday and it was literally the Tuesday evening. They'd all had a talk on MCAS. So they showed up and they're like, oh my goodness, look at this, the timing. We all understand your condition now. And it was so wonderful. Obviously, the whole anaphylaxis part wasn't great, but to yeah. not be having to explain it and understand it, not just the basics, but having full kind of information from my specialist was really, really good. Um, and obviously going in now, like I still have to go into hospital, I can't stay at home. I can treat as much as I can at home, but sometimes I do have to go in. So yeah. there's a risk of the coronavirus, well, it could kill me, but also the anaphylaxis will kill me quicker. So it's yeah. kind of trying to balance when to go in and when to seek further help and what we can manage at home so not simple but this is what it is my goodness um and I obviously want to talk to you about your gymnastics because you're an incredibly talented gymnast um you've been doing it since you were about eight years old right yeah yeah I started just like recreationally at local Mm. leisure center when I was eight and haven't stopped since really no was after you sort of started getting all the anaphylactic shocks, did you just continue? Were you were you doing gymnastics the entire time or did you stop for a while and then sort of decide to go back to it? I never really stopped. I just, my attendance significantly dropped because I wasn't, yeah. either wasn't well enough or was in hospital. Um, whereas there was never like a conscious decision I just kind of kept going and as it kind of like slowly changed and I got sicker and things changed I kind of just adapted with it and just got on with it Mm. um it was quite frustrating because some of the girls in the gym would be like you know you're not putting as much effort in as you used to and things like that and I'm like no actually I'm putting in more effort I just can't do much and yeah I don't think they quite understood it until we were doing vault one day and I landed a vault and was like oh I feel a bit ill you know we'd done quite a long session I just figured I was tired walked back to the end of the vault run I was like oh I'm gonna sit down I'm out of breath from all this vaulting and then I went into anaphylaxis like in the gym at the back of the gym and it was in the right <sighs> back of the corner and the ambulance had to be called like my coach I had because because I couldn't speak because I was swelling up so I had to yeah. kind of gesture to one of the girls and they called my coach over and he was because like, he knew what had obviously been happening was like okay yeah so he ran over and got my kit and had to use an EpiPen on me and they had to phone an ambulance. Mm-hmm. And I remember the paramedics coming in and they had to walk across the sprung floor and they were just like, oh, it's bouncy. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just sat there like in on the flex looking at these. One of them is like doing obs, the other one's treating me. And the third one that had come, is just bouncing coming down on the spot in the sprung floor, which is hilarious. <laughs> but he's wearing these thick outdoor, like heavy duty steel toe boots. And I'm like, my coach is a strict, like, no shoes in the gym thing because of the because of the floor because they're expensive and yeah. he's just bouncing down in these steel toe boots with mud going everywhere and I'm like oh my gosh if the anaphylaxis doesn't kill me my coach will because of that <laughs> but I just remember him jumping up down like oh it's really springy like no wonder you like gymnastics and I'm like uh-huh not right now <laughs> and I got really quite sick on the way into the hospital and they cut my leotard off oh devastated oh I just came around and they just like snipped the top to pull it down to be able to attach like cardiac monitors and defib pads yeah. and things, which obviously they needed to do. I'm like, do, do you know how expensive leotards are? Than the leotard, but they're so I've beautiful. I've lost so many clothes now. There's honestly. one photo I've seen you in. You have this like black leotard and it looks like you've got sort of like a heartbeat in gold. Yeah. <gasps> I love it. It's so Yeah, I beautiful. designed that. I think it was 2016. Um, on the back, it actually has an awareness ribbon with rings coming out of it. Um, and it was to represent all those that had lost their life to the condition. And then the heartbeat was like hope and life. Um, like showing the timeline. I, I love that leotard so, so much. Oh, that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. Um, and I wanted to ask as well, I um, I think was watching an interview that you did and you s- said that sometimes you can't like feel your feet yeah. or your arms. How do you still <laughs> Okay, so last year I broke my foot twice. Both times I was just walking. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that takes skill in itself, surely. It surely does. I mean, the first time I was drunk, but that had nothing to do with it. Um, Mm -hmm. Nothing to do with it, I'm sure. Yes. Um, But how on earth do you do gymnastics and do it brilliantly? when you can't even feel your limbs you say brilliantly but most of the footage <laughs> you'll see is 
out of a competition footage where I've practiced things multiple times mm-hmm. um or training in the gym footage that either I've shared or people have come to film but I've only done skills that I know I can do relatively consistently you should see me trying to see trying to do a new skill like it takes me over a year longer I mean I'm trying to get a cartwheel on beam for we're going on five years now because I can't feel my hands I can't adjust the weight as I go over and it's honestly absolute disaster I and I get them and it's kind of consistent and I'm doing okay and then they just go all off again and I'm like I don't know what I'm doing differently why why am I going to die on this beam because that was the way a cartwheel goes as you come down one foot at a time it's really easy to split the beam yeah. and that is like a big fear because it really hurts when you do that over and over and over again we kind yeah. of joke that I could do like cartwheel to crotch as a new skill <laughs> um, but it definitely makes things more difficult I mean muscle memory because I did gymnastics before I was unwell helps mm. because I have the basic shapes and things um, but mm. it just takes a lot more repetition repetition and kind of try to feel where I am in the air and being spatially aware and using sight um so because when I exercise the chemicals are released uh they affect my brain when I so it's only when I exercise that I don't have the feeling and it's kind of elbows down and knees down like in neuropathy um yeah. so once I stop exercising it slowly comes back but it can be quite frustrating especially after big competitions and there's like kids lining up for autographs and I'm trying to sign autographs but I still can't feel my hands so I had to like come oh. up with an autograph that I could kind of easily I actually had to practice it multiple times after I'd been exercising so I'd jog around at home lose the feeling in my hand and try and teach myself the movement to get them like muscle memory to do it and most I'm sure most athletes don't practice their autograph because of their disability but (laughs) I had to practice it because I didn't want to let these kids down and be like pussy how many like sharpie pens and they want to shine like leotards and t-shirts I'm like that's permanent I can't mess up they don't just want a squiggle yeah yeah. Well, each one would be unique. Yeah, but they need to be able to read my name and not just have the blob. I mean, I mean, yes, uh, you have a point. <laughs> They're like, whose autograph is that? What's that scribble? Like, did your three-year-old get hold of it? It's like, no, that's Natasha Coates. <laughs> but that could become the thing if you have something with some weird squiggle. Oh, that's that's Natasha Coates. <laughs> as long as it's a consistent squiggle, because otherwise anyone could just fake. That's my true. Autograph. You don't it's, want that. No, I mean, I don't think it's, it's going to sell on eBay, let's be honest. But maybe 99p start bid. But um, <laughs> anyone could just fake fake it. and uh, Yeah. Because I have my, like, signature for documents and things. But it's different. It's had to be you're very, not gonna very put, different. You're not going to put your signature on, uh, no. on your autograph or that, no, that could so, end badly. Yeah, so I had to consciously sit down and kind of design what I was going to sign and how it yeah. was going to work. Um because it's got like I link the N to the C so it kind of makes like mm-hmm. a giant S but backwards um, yeah. and then just write Natasha Coates but then if I'm really struggling or there's loads of people in Cocktown I do the N and the C and then a kiss so it's consistent oh, nice. and yeah like it depends on like if we're being moved through by security or things like that it's like quickly yeah. trying to scribble things down yeah so I don't want to let them down because no. I remember being that kid I remember going to watch and you know if one of the athletes came to me and I was like, oh, can I have your autograph? And they took the time to kind of say hello. And they, sometimes I let the kids try on medals after competitions. They let yeah. them around the neck and take a picture. Um, like, I would have loved that when I was there. Yeah. So I just try and do that for them because I know, like, how much of a difference it makes. Yeah. No, I totally get that because I, I do a lot of theatre. Um, and I, you know, whenever I go see, particularly a musical, um, we'll get my program signed or for the last few years I've sort of been like painting these canvases like specific for each show and getting the cast to sign them wow. um, and it's really great it's really fun though the older I get like I'm normally standing at the stage door with like the little kids <laughs> <laughs> but um, a couple of years ago I was in uh, a musical called Heathers and you know it's amateur theatre basically um you know fairly good quality amateur theatre but still amateur and I had you know a few kids ask for my signature and I'd never had that before and I was like oh of course you know of course I'm gonna do that because I know how much I love it yeah Um, yeah did you panic though were you like okay I need I need an autograph now like how do I yeah I think I just sort of did like you know like a thanks for coming like heart Chelsea or something like that um 
I mean, but yeah, it was really... like little little notes and things like that. Yeah, little notes. It's notes usually just things. like keep going, maybe, or my thing is like be brave, um, yeah. and stay focused. But normally, yeah. it's just your name, like your squiggle, as opposed yeah. to yes. Well, do... you have probably a lot more fans uh, than I do at the uh, the college theatre <laughs> for my my um, show. You probably have a some seven year old girls can be scary. Oh, like, yes. The mum's like, can we have a picture? Can we have a picture? And it's like, uh, yeah, I just need to sign this one because I like to like sign the thing, get the picture, and then like that person can move on and the others can yeah. go. And then people are like shoving books over like over each other, and I'm like, yeah. oh, this is chaos because I'm I'm behind a barrier, so it's, yeah. they're like leaning over the barrier, and I'm trying to take things and make sure I give what I've taken back to the right person. And I'm like, this is a yeah. lot of pressure. Like, yeah. Last time we had, um, I think it was 2016. Uh, after the competition I was kind of nervous because there were so many gymnasts like leaning over screaming waiting for the press doors to be open for us to do like the walkout um to sign and then let me go back in and the security guard had, had seen him there a couple of years he's like how are you doing I was like I need I want to go out and sign them but it's really intimidating and he's like because obviously I was like I don't want to get too stressed and become well like I've yeah. just done a big competition I need to kind of chill but I don't want to miss out so he's like oh don't worry like I'll come with you so I had this bodyguard behind me and he was massive <laughs> I felt like a proper celebrity it was hilarious and he just like kept checking in with a couple of people like I turned back to check if he's still there and he's like you good I'm like I'm good and like it was a lot oh. less stressful because I knew I had like an escape if needed yeah. um, but it was just hilarious and like obviously fans were taking pictures of me and there's just him in the background like <laughs> in an all black outfit with his like these massive shoulders and this bald head just like in the did background. he have sunglasses and an earpiece because that would really complete the look he didn't but that would have been maybe next year i'll take him like a little fake earpiece yeah. and yeah. Then some sunglasses and they would be like <laughs> natasha coates is on the move natasha coates is on the move <laughs> where's the EpiPens? <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, to, sorry. <laughs> um, I also, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but I read somewhere that you can sometimes, your, your body is so aware that you can sometimes sort of sense when the weather is about to change. Yeah, definitely. I think anyone that has a chronic health condition will say like the weather affects them. If there's a storm, like the pressure changes, they can make me feel really unwell. But I, I mean, some people think that the moon affects them I'm not sure about that but then the moon control controls the tide so yeah. it's daft to think that it wouldn't have an effect on us um and def- people are definitely weird on a full moon I swear so I mean it wouldn't <laughs> surprise me but I definitely think the weather and uh, I notice that stormy weather seems to drop my blood pressure and make me feel really just icky That's yeah. the called terminology that icky. yes yes absolutely um, <laughs> the, when I read that the first thing that came to my mind was um, in Mean Girls when Karen is like, I have a fair sense. My breasts can tell when it's going to rain. Well, they can tell when it's raining. <laughs> was... I hadn't thought of it like that. And now, oh, well, that's just ruined that for me, Trevor. <laughs> there's, a, there's a 30% chance that it's already raining. <laughs> that's brilliant. I mean, it's not quite that. I'm not really good at the percentage stuff. I can just be like, oh, it's like, the pressure's changing or you know we had a a really good one of of hot weather and then the day after it was like 10 degrees cooler and it was really windy and I felt horrific and it didn't like it lasted a couple of days until the storm moved through and wind seems to make me really ill and I can't work out if it's maybe the pollen being blown about or the pressure just don't know what's out but I always seem to feel really yuck on really windy days so need to move somewhere that doesn't have wind <laughs> or as much well if if the sort of changes in in weather um aren't good for you then i don't suggest moving to melbourne as i said to you earlier um in melbourne we do have the saying of if you don't like the weather just wait 10 minutes it'll change so that would probably have you going a little crazy if the um the yeah, weather was get anything done if it was that just often. constantly changing thankfully yeah. british weather is relatively consistent usually just mm-hmm. gray and cloudy or rainy <laughs> cold yes we have the odd heat wave um which is probably still cold heat to wave. you guys yeah, <laughs> 20, we had 23 degrees last week and it was like, day. 
That's too I, I, cold to go to the beach. That's crazy. Like we are in the in our like pools that we like pop up pools and sunbathing in our bikinis in that temperature. <laughs> Whereas for you guys, you're like, oh, I'll put a jacket on. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing what you adjust to, like, and adapt to. Because I mean, I'd love to visit Australia. Kind of scared of the bugs though. There are a lot of bugs, but there's not like if you're inside, there's less. I'm not going to say there's none. Yeah, but I can't. I feel like if I was going to put my body through all that traveling, which would be a risk yeah. myself, I don't really want to stay inside because I, I mean, I'm true. currently doing that right now because <laughs> we're having yeah. to stay inside because of the virus. So it just seems like a long way to go to then just stay inside. That's very true. I mean, it's different for you, I suppose, but I really, yeah. I'd love to go to Bondi Beach when I was younger. I used to love watching Bondi Beach Rescue. <laughs> and ever since then, I just want to go to Bondi Beach, not really for the beach, just to be like, I went to Bondi Beach just to experience it. Yeah. Um, and then if I did happen to have a reaction, I'd be like, oh, I've seen you on TV. The lifeguards are like, stabbing me with an epicenter. <laughs> I was like, could you imagine that if I actually went and they were filming it and I went into anaphylaxis yeah. and it was like, oh. But were... also it would be like the best episode for them because you're already famous. They can be like British gymnast <laughs> Natasha Pertz we faints on Bondi Beach. Probably face first into the sand, knowing my luck. <laughs> Never seem to manage to like collapse somewhere convenient. It's always I mean, I was in hospital, we drove in and I was having a reaction. And uh, we went in like a little side room to be assessed by a nurse. Uh, she did like my my observations like blood pressure and heart rate and stuff and I was and we sat there and it was all calm like it calmed down and I was like oh I'm starting to not feel very well again and I was with um a friend who actually is a doctor which proved out to be really lucky um and she was like because I'd I'd gone in and I'd text her because I knew that she was doing a training day at that hospital room and I was like hey guess where I am I'm the same place as you she's like I've just finished I'll come join you I was like like come say hi um, so I was being being assessed. I was like, oh, I'm not feeling very well. And she's just looking at me because she's seen it so many times. She's just like, yeah, yep, here we go again. And like, she's got amazing eyebrows. And I always say, I was like, put the eyebrows away because they like lift up. And she's like, <laughs> mm. I'm like, you don't need to say anything. Your eyebrows are saying it all. Um, and I said like, oh, I'm not feeling very well. Like my throat's feeling a bit tight again. She's like, okay, I'm gonna take you through to like the main A and E bit um, and put you on a bed. And I was like, okay. And I stood up and just collapsed, just lost consciousness, and my yeah. whole airway swelled up and just went face first face first into the floor behind the door so they couldn't open the door to shout for help oh no because <laughs> I my like unconscious body is <laughs> in front of the door and apparently this nurse is like trying to slowly because it was like my head was by the door so it was even more you know, dangerous apparently she's like slowly trying to move me and my friend just grabbed me and went whoop and like hoisted me oh slid God. me across the floor out the way and then, like, they were, like, checking my airway, and it was really, really sore. And so she used an epipen on me, and, like, the nurse is sticking her head out, like, can I have some help? And I came around, and there's loads of people around me. And I'm just like, whoops. Yeah. I, I just, because I, I felt okay. Well, I didn't feel great, but I was like, oh, yeah, I can, like, stand up and walk. And I stood up, and my brain's like, ha, 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 No. Straight into the floor. I, um... I had such a headache after that. I got this big lump on my head. And then they were telling me what had happened and how I'd managed to land, because it was a relatively small room, and I'd gone forward. And the fact that I'd gone, like, my head had only been kind of a couple of inches from the door. So I was lucky I didn't hit it. But then, yeah. obviously, they couldn't open the door because it opened inwards. <laughs> my body's just like, oh, God, just on. you've got to laugh because otherwise you'd cry. But, you yeah. know, when you're like, oh, I, I feel like I just end up in these situations that make it so more, much more difficult. I'm like, why couldn't I have just flopped back into the chair or, like, down to yeah. the side or I don't know, yeah. even, like, taking out my friend with me? I'm sure she wouldn't have minded. <laughs> She, she's learned to catch yeah I um I used to be a lifeguard and uh, I have low blood pressure so I mean obviously this is nothing compared to what you go through but I am prone to fainting because of my low blood pressure and at the pool that I worked at um you know most of the place was the same temperature but we had a hydro pool so that room was really really warm and it was probably about like quarter to nine in the morning or something and I was in that really warm section of the room and I started to feel quite lightheaded and so I radioed our duty manager and I was just like hey Mark like I think I need to go sit down for a minute and while I was waiting for Mark to come in my 
like I started not being able to see anything. Mm. Like all and I could see was like going grey, doesn't it? And you're like, it was grey. It was like grey swirly clouds. And I remember a woman came up to me and asked me a question, and I couldn't see her, but I answered her question, and then I fainted. <laughs> <laughs> but um. My duty manager, Mark, was walking into the room as I fainted. Apparently, I faint very gracefully. Um, oh, and can you he, teach me? <laughs> and he um, uh, saw me faint. So, apparently, I, like, I actually braced myself with my hands. So, he's like, you didn't hit your head or anything. And I, I came to, like, straight away. They put oxygen on me. But my sister worked at the same swimming pool. And her shift was, like, starting in a little while. And she'd been up in the gym. And she was obviously like, you know, they'd like the junior manager had radioed to get somebody in because I'd fainted. Man down, man down, (laughs) man down. And um, so my sister was like coming downstairs, like ready to get ready for a shift. And one of the other staff members comes up to her and was like, Chelsea, like just like so panicked. And my sister is like, what on earth has happened to my sister? And she like runs into the room and I'm just like lying on the floor on oxygen. (laughs) Hi. <laughs> just an yeah. average day. How are you yeah. doing? <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, obviously, quite nothing. lucky though, because it's obviously the pool side's not the nicest place to hit the floor. Yeah, it's very good <laughs> that I didn't um, land in the pool. Oh gosh, is um, yeah. is is a plus. Especially since uh, you're like, oh, I need a lifeguard. Oh wait, I'm the lifeguard. Hi. I've got. Um, yeah, yeah. It's good um, they were so proactive though, and like sorting you out, and you're just like, hello, um, hello. Carry on my day. Please tell me they didn't put you back in that room. <laughs> no, I went. I got to go home. I did go in that room in like on later shifts, yeah. but at least it was they were very good of like, okay, if Chelsea feels lightheaded, Chelsea goes home, because <laughs> we don't want a lifeguard passing out on pool deck. It's not the best look. No, everyone around is like. Uh, is she okay like she's uh, just be looking after us what's going on yeah yeah exactly yeah that it's always good with, the, uh, with doing the... all the like medical training and then be like mm, yeah. I need to step down from this because I can't help other people if I need the help myself yeah exactly exactly um I wanted to ask as well have uh, most of your friends sort of like semi-trained in what to do if you have a shock you know do they know how to administer an EpiPen and yeah I mean I'm pretty open obviously about talking about the condition so yeah most of them know what to do or they ask what to do and if I wouldn't say I definitely know who my true friends are because as I started yeah. getting ill people disappeared and I'm like okay like it was hard at the time but looking back I'm really glad because the friends I have and obviously I did a lot of voluntary work in the medical field so most of my friends were paramedics doctors things like that and well that's helpful not only or like wanted to be doctors like a friend who I went to high school with is, is literally just graduated as a doctor and uh, what a time to to graduate um Jesus but he's kind of knew me healthy and then all through this and he's always been there um and he's a really really great friend I'm really really lucky to have him and I love seeing him kind of like progress and like he's moving out and he's in a long-term relationship like all these adulty things that I'm not capable to do yet uh, yeah. I'm not jealous um but he kind of knows what to do not only from a medical perspective but from a like a Tasha perspective because yeah my reactions are very different to like your normal anaphylaxis sometimes because it's not like it's not like I've consumed something allergic to so you know my lips might might not be swollen my face might not be bright red but like my throat will be almost completely shut but you know it can so they know the telltale signs now to what to look out for me because I'll be like I'm I'm fine I'm just gonna be it's not a problem you know you're just bathroom and like splash my face with cold water I'm sure I feel fine and they're like I should sit your backside down I'm like yeah I'm like no I'm good I'm good because I'm really stubborn so I'm like oh yeah. not a problem like this is fine I'm just gonna you're own this all by myself and then I'm like mm. I never locked myself in bathrooms though because I knew I could lose consciousness so I'm sensible um, yeah. I'm like I'm just gonna go do all this because I don't want to be an inconvenience especially when it happens yeah. all the time because I'm like you guys are trying to get on with stuff like if I'm in church I'll just like take myself to the back of church and like sit against the floor but I sit where my friends can see me and they'll just like check around every couple of minutes and I'm just like give them a thumbs up and yeah. uh, if I need to like we've we've learned if I say like okay I don't feel great they're like okay she really doesn't feel well 
Um, or okay. they'll just keep an eye on me. And then if I pass out, they'll be like, oh, she's unconscious. Okay, let's go and deal with her. Like, it's just, Natasha's it's unconscious just... again. Uh, yeah, but it, it does make me wonder, like, how many times I've been unconscious, how much of my life I've actually missed from being <laughs> unconscious. <laughs> but, like, I'm sure I'm owed, like, at least a year. Let's be real. Like, yeah. excuse me, I've missed out. People are like, oh, you could act young for your age. I'm like, yeah, I've been unconscious for half of my life. Yeah. Feel like. I mean, you are younger, really. You know, it's beauty sleep. Mm, it's not necessarily restful, though. It's the only downside. I mean, Although that... sometimes I do come around feeling better than I did before I lost consciousness. But the times are corruptly worse. So yeah. you never, never quite know. There's nothing worse than coming around for being unconscious and feeling horrific. Like worse than you did before because it's like nope I want to go back to being unconscious I don't want to do this oh. right now like I, I passed out in the hospital um hospital main entrance we'd been um to go and get bloods done and it wasn't because I had bloods taken and my body decided that was a good time to have a reaction so I sat in the chair and dealing with it my mum was with me and I'm like okay I'm feeling much better now like I've taken all my meds like, I just want to go home because I was like this is, yeah. it's, is it getting big we don't need to stay at the hospital I just need to go home and I stood up to go home, took like one step and then came around on the floor. Oh. Thankfully, I managed to collapse in front of a group of med students. So it's like, woo, here's a live practice for you guys. Teaching moment. Yeah. So they put a, like an arrest call and like everyone comes running. Um, but it was actually quite frightening because there was a guy there. I don't know if it was like mental health or alcohol or what, um, but he was convinced that I was his partner. Um, I was unconscious on the floor and he's trying to lift me up off the floor. Oh. And my mum's like, get off my child. Yeah. And then the doctors and things are like, what is going on? Because this guy was so convinced, apparently, that I was his. And he's like, leaning over me, but he smelt really strong of alcohol. And that could then trigger, like, a further reaction. Yeah. Um, So it was an absolute nightmare. And it was really frightening. Eventually, like, because my mum was like, get off. Get off yeah. her. Like, you don't know her. And he's getting really defensive and getting quite aggressive. There's yeah. me, like, unconscious. Like not knowing any of this is happening kind of coming around and smelling alcohol and thinking what on earth is going on and yeah. hearing all this kind of arguing and like the doctors are like like I don't know who you are to like my mom just like both step away pulling like little privacy curtains and I was like oh, I just want to go back to being unconscious for like another two <laughs> minutes until this has calmed down because yeah. I'm not like coming around in the middle of an argument and then people panicking and I remember coming around and they were taking my pulse and like um it's, it's really fast but it's weak and I'm like oh yeah, I feel horrible <laughs> came around and they're like hello hello how are you feeling I'm like, how am I feeling how am I feeling <laughs> I'm lying in the middle of a hospital corridor in the main entrance where everyone can see me surrounded by people can I go home now like? yeah yeah and do they, you ever like, have days where you have zero symptoms or is it some sort of symptom every day? I think there's always some some sort of symptom, um, yeah. even if it's mild. Most of the time, I'm just kind of used to it. I think if I woke up, I wasn't in pain and didn't have any symptoms, I'd be like, "Am I okay? Am I dead? Like, what? <laughs> what is <laughs> what going is on? Exactly." Yeah. Or like, even if it's not a symptom of the condition, it's like fallout from the condition. So if I've like this morning, I had a reaction like half two. So I'm really tired this morning because yeah. although I did get back to sleep and managed to sleep, it still wipes me out. So although I'm not currently massively symptomatic, I'm worn out from last night and dealing with the reaction. So it's, she says yawning, there you go, perfect timing. Um, <laughs> it's like I'm awake and I'm going to do my day because if I just sleep all day, it doesn't make me feel any better. It's just exhaustion. Yeah. But it's the fallout from from the condition. Like if I do something like a competition, I know for that next week I won't be able to do anything and I'll feel horrific. Yeah. So it's just kind of you, it almost is like a punishment for doing things, which is really, really hard. Oh, that's so, awful. But then I always say to my friends, like, if I, like, they should be honoured that I spend time with them and do things with them because it takes so much out of me. And it's just, <laughs> <laughs> like, because we're always winding each other up, obviously having a bit of banter. Um, yeah. Especially at the moment, I, I always pull the like, oh, do you, like, you want to call tomorrow? Do you want to catch up? I was like, oh, I don't know. I have to check my schedule. I'm very busy. I've got to go here, there, and everywhere. And they're like, it's 11 o'clock. Okay. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can like, you oh. tell us a bit? Obviously, um, we're, we're recording this when coronavirus is happening. Um, that's got to be extremely scary for you. Um, how long have you been in isolation now? So, 
think actually today marks three months, which is crazy, <sighs> having not left the house in three months. I'm actually starting to get quite a bit of anxiety about yeah. leaving the house. Um, yeah. So currently trying to work through that and manage it. Um, but it's it's weird because when this first all happened, it was like everybody now knows what it's like to live in MCAS. You have to miss things. You can't see certain people because, you know, I can't see people if they've got a cold or if they're wearing some yeah. perfume or I have to avoid certain things. And it's frightening going outside and not knowing what could potentially cause you to react. So always being on edge for this invisible thing that could potentially kill you. Yeah. And everyone kept saying this with the virus. like It's so frightening. There's this invisible thing that could kill you. and You can't avoid it. You don't know what to do. And I'm like, uh-huh. Yep. Yep. I've been dealing with yeah. it for years. Yep. Yeah. I actually wrote, wrote on social media last night about it because um, a friend came to visit me outside the window so she put her hand against the window and I put my hand against the window and it was just like so close so far because she's a doctor so she's going to be one of the last people that when I'm able to start seeing people she's yeah. going to be because she's actively working on the COVID ward like most of my friends are wow. are doctors which is really difficult because they're doing an amazing job but I'm like oh well, I just want a hug yeah. and I shared the picture and it was kind of just my thoughts last night was like how isolating shielding is but I put however some ways I think my chronic criticalness has prepared me to live through this kind of yeah. you know, the pandemic anxiety because that we're all experiencing now because you learn like not to anticipate the future knowing that death is inevitable and like, finding beauty yeah. all around and holding space for doubt like so I put like this is what I know how to do it's mm-hmm. not easy you know I, I miss what was my normal and this hasn't become normal yet yeah like I miss my church and my gym and my and like the outside world and I kind of it's hard not to feel forgotten especially with the government because I mean I got a text three days ago um telling me that they have a line for like mental health support if the, if like during the coronavirus and I'm like mm-hmm. we are literally nearly three months into this why are we only just getting told about things like this like why like obviously it's better late than never but yeah I think if I was gonna have a breakdown by now it would have happened (laughs) yeah yeah um we should start wrapping up soon but a question I wanted to ask you is um you know Hollywood make a lot of movies about illnesses you know you've got the fault in our stars and five feet Mm -hmm. apart and that type of thing if they made a movie about let's face it, most likely teenagers with MCAS, what do you think is something they would get wrong? They'd get wrong? Um, yeah. I don't know, maybe only showing the, like, a normal life and then just having the anaphylaxis, whereas you mm-hmm. don't see the day-to-day kind of symptoms and management of it. Yeah. Because I think people think, oh, yeah, like, she goes into anaphylaxis, but, like, they give a treatment and then it's fine again. And I'm like, no, there's the rehab. Like, if you're in intensive care for a week, the amount of muscle mass you lose is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, I had to, like, learn to walk almost again because my body was just like, how do we do this? So it's it's showing not just the severe bit. It's, like, everything that comes with it. Yeah. Because, right? obviously, it affects everything. It affects your social life. It affects what you eat, what you do. Yeah. Literally, you know, it's hard to... I always say like MCAS isn't me like I have MCAS it doesn't have me it's not my personality it's not my identity but when it affects every part of your life it's quite hard to not let it become your identity so it's definitely something I've worked on myself but yeah well I think it's incredible you know that you're doing all of this gymnastics and stuff and because you have the best excuse in the world to just (laughs) sit down and watch Netflix all day I'm gonna do that as well (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you have the the best excuse in the world, but yet you're out there and being an elite gymnast, and it's just incredible. Um, now, I always like to ask a random question uh, okay. to each uh, person, and it's different every time. And I'm really excited about this one. I came up with this, and I was like, I think this is a great question. That's Natasha, <laughs> what do you think was the best thing before sliced bread? Oh, that's a really good question. Thank you. And I googled sliced bread was invented in 1928, which is later than I expected. Yeah, I was going to say. I mean, unsliced bread, I guess. Unsliced bread. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on. What were you expecting? A sensible answer? Uh, So does sliced bread, when people say the best thing before sliced bread, is that when it comes like – pre-packaged slice because you can slice your own bread yeah. so is unsliced bread just an entire loaf 
I guess so. Were people just eating entire loaves at a time? Like biting it? No, no. Who monster bites into bread? Like you just don't. You don't do that. I guess the best thing before sliced bread was probably. I don't know. Did they have crisps before sliced bread? Because I really like crisps. That's my my weakness. Yeah. I'm not sure, but no, probably unsliced bread. Probably unsliced bread. Yeah. It's a pretty good answer. Unless, unless garlic bread existed, because that's that's oh, beautiful. Yeah. Thankfully, I'm not I, allergic to garlic. So it's great. Oh, that's the best. I went out for dinner, well, ordered and taken with a few friends the other day, and we were getting um, uh, Nepalese food. And my friend was ordering, and he was like, "Oh, do we want cheesy naan or garlic naan?" I was like, "Garlic naan? What are you? Uh, excuse you me, get garlic naan. cheesy naan." I mean, yeah, but but all <laughs> garlic, yeah, all the garlic, garlic over. Plus, you know, if there's any like vampires hanging out. Yeah. you're covered exactly exactly uh oh, and actually, now i've got i've got a better answer to the um please slice bread gymnastics obviously that was invented <laughs> before. sorry coach oops that's me getting extra strength work <laughs> um and now the last question i want to ask you um the show is called loud and seemingly confident because that's how i once described myself do you see yourself as a confident person I think it fluctuates. I'm definitely, you know, seemingly confident. I, when you first messaged me, I thought it was brilliant because I'm very much a like fake it till you make it. Like, when I stand yeah. out in front of a, thousands of people to perform, I am petrified. It's the kind of like, I stand at the edge and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to throw up. I don't know if I'm going to wet myself. Maybe I need the bathroom. Do I need the bathroom? Have, when did I last go to the bathroom? Is my leotard in the right place? Like, like your brain is just, <laughs> and then then they present and you're like, oh, go quick routine. And then it just is over almost instantly. Like, okay, we're good. Thankfully, I didn't need the toilet. I didn't throw up um but I just kind of fake it and like chin up um chest out my coach is the saying where we go teeth and tits <laughs> <laughs> and it just describes it personally because like, even when the world's completely chaotic I'm just like it's fine this is all fine so I think I'm definitely confident in pretending to be confident when I'm not confident and then I think confidence is also allowing yourself to be vulnerable because that that's a hard thing to do so it shows confidence I think by being able to show how you're really feeling that's one thing I really love about um your Instagram is you're not just showing yourself when you're great you know you're showing the ups and the downs but I think that's a really important thing because you know other people whether they have MCAS or, or something else can sometimes look to somebody and if they're only posting all of their good parts then those other people that are looking up to you can be going, oh, well, I'm not always that happy. And and, that, and that's something really dangerous about yeah. social media. Um, so I think it is really important um, for role models like yourself, um, which I knew you were going to make a face. She made a face, everyone. <laughs> I, um, a face. <laughs> I did my friend and her eyebrows, but here I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it is really important for, for people like yourself to show those up and down moments because it shows other people that you know it's important if someone was happy all the time there's something wrong with them you've yeah. got to have you've got to have a, a a balance a mix I remember someone saying to me like oh the only disability in life is a bad attitude I'm like oh, oh. <laughs> does that get you does that get you a blue badge like no it doesn't it doesn't work like that but they do they have a point but I think there's so much pressure especially as as a role model as you called it um to always be that kind of I don't know like a positive influence but I want to be a positive influence but I want to be real like if I'm having a rough time I'll be like okay things are rough right now like I know it'll get better but at the moment I'm just gonna sit and be sad for the day and especially within disability culture they they want almost like we call it inspiration porn and it's like oh look at that poor disabled person oh they're so amazing like I'm like dude they went to Tesco's to get milk like we're not we're not here to make you feel better about yourself yeah so right now during the pandemic going to Tesco's to get milk is a dangerous thing there is that I don't know we've got all the arrows on the floor apparently and you have to follow them and then people aren't following the one-way system the right way and it sounds really really stressful so I'm kind of glad I can't go shopping at the moment yeah also helps with the bank balance supermarkets as well. are a scary place we're a bit better here in australia now but uh yeah supermarkets can be a can be a scary place during all of this because 
the aisles aren't big enough to stand 1.5 meters apart from each other oh you have to do 1.5 with two meters oh, it has to be obviously australian coronavirus can't travel as far as it's um the av- they say stay um the average length of the snake in your backyard apart from each other. Um. <laughs> oh. Well, we don't have any, so no. Does no. that mean I can hug people? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show today. Thank you for everyone for listening. Please subscribe uh, and leave us a review. You can follow me on Instagram at Chelsea J Heaney. That's H E A N E Y. Or you can follow the podcast at Loud and Seemingly Confident. Natasha, do you want to plug anything? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, everything, and it's all under Natasha Coates GB. I have the same name for everything because it's nice and simple, not for everybody else to find, but for me to remember. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been absolutely fantastic. 